the Publish a Book podcast, where we speak with authors from around the world to find out how they transform their dream into a published reality. Here's your host, Adam Ashton. Welcome to the Publisher Book Podcast. My name is Adam Ashton. Today's episode is an interview with Timber Hawkeye. Uh, not his birth name, but Timber is the author of the of two books, The Buddhist Boot Camp and Faithfully Religionless. Now, this is taken from uh, another podcast I do called the What You Will Learn podcast. So it's myself and my co-host, Adam Jones, interviewing Timber. Timber was working in, in corporate America. He was in a, in a law firm until one day he realized that it just it wasn't the life he wanted to be living. He'd racked up a lot of credit card debts, and the day he paid off that last debt, he realized instead of having to spend that extra $1,000 a month he was paying to the credit card companies, it just meant that he could work less and earn $1,000 a month less. He'd already become accustomed to earning that amount of money, so it meant he was able to do things he enjoyed and work less. He went and worked part-time, and he discovered Buddhism. He even, I think he even lived in a, in a Zen monastery at a point in time. So what he's doing now, he's sharing the ideas of Buddhism, the principles. Now, Buddhism is not a religion, so you can be a Christian or you can be Jewish or you can be Islamic and you can apply Buddhist principles to improve your life. So I hope you enjoyed this interview with Timber Hawkeye and we even talk about how he used his first book to create his second book, which is I thought was really interesting as well. So here's Timber. It was actually good. We got to got to do Buddhist boot camp and faithfully religionless again. So that, that was good. Yeah. I mean, I think the message between... Um, from both of them is similar, but the delivery is completely different. You know, one is more of storytelling, and the other one is a bunch of short stories. Mm-hmm. So, did you? I'm curious. Did you have? Did you prefer one over the other? Uh, I read Buddhist Boot Camp first. I actually think I preferred Faithfully Religionless because I was um, I was curious about a bit of your story, and, and you were able to work, as you say, pretty similar ideas, but worked in that way. I think I preferred um, Faithfully Religionless. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> and Timber, we, we have to ask straight away, Timber Hawkeye, it's not a, uh, a name you hear every day. That's not the real name, is it? No, and that's and I talk about that in the book. Um, the When I moved from Israel to the States, no one could pronounce my birth name, and I got the nickname Timber, and it just sort of stuck. And then in 95, my first graphic design was published. And when they asked me what name to put with the logo... I said, well, Timber. And then said, well, what's Timber's last name? And I was in college. The company that the design was made for was in New York. And I tried to tell them the story. They were not interested in hearing it. They were just trying to get me off the phone. And I, li- I lived on Hawkeye Street. And I said, Hawkeye. And I hung up. And I thought, Timber Hawkeye, that sounds good. And so I had my name legally changed to Timber Hawkeye back in 1995. Um, yep. So that's what's on my driver's license. That's what's, yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome. So growing up, you you uh, went from like the real Western influence, and you got influenced by the East at some stage. So in the book, you were talking about you used to drink a lot, you used to get girls, smoking, all that kind of stuff. So can you talk a little bit of that and how you were influenced by the East, or how that got introduced into your life, uh, the Buddhism? Uh, one of the first books I read uh, was called Meditation by Knafis Waran, and it's the book is um, out of print now, but part of what he instilled in me was the idea that, you know, this 
to, to think of your body like a jacket that you get to wear, but you only get one jacket for your whole life, you know? And so how would you treat that jacket? Would you throw it on the ground every day when you came home or would you take really good care of it because you want to keep that jacket for as long as you can? So I was reading that while still uh, partying and everything. And then one day I went to the bar right after reading it again. And um, I sat down and I ordered my usual drink. And then for whatever reason, that thought entered into my mind. Like, you know, they talk so much about how alcohol is toxic. And and I thought, if I can come up with one good reason to pick up that drink, then I'll do it. And it's been 15 years. And I've wow. yet to come up with a good reason to pick it up. And that's kind of been my filter in you know it, it it's it was really logic that brought me to buddhism it wasn't an infatuation with you know all the deities or anything yeah. like that it's just made logical sense like hey take good care of yourself you know yeah and so when i'm tempted to eat something deep fried or drink something that's not good i just think to myself like can you come up with a single good reason mm -hmm. other than it tastes good you know mm -hmm. to do this and yeah. if i can't i don't so nice. Well, on that, on down the line, can you give us uh, some of the the basics of of Buddhism? I guess as a as a real beginner, if someone had never heard anything about it, what are some of the the absolute basics? I guess. Well, <laughs> there's a, a common misconception that Buddhism can be encapsulated into something very simple and much like any other tradition or um, even some religions. Um, there's eight hundred different schools of Buddhism. So it can get very complicated, and it makes sense because when the teachings went from India to China, they got a little Chinese culture flavor, and then when the teachings went to Tibet, when the teachings went to Thailand, and that's why you see Korean Buddhists and, you know, Japanese, and the Japanese tradition is very much engulfed in a lot of Zen, but um, in, in its simple source, um, Buddhism is not a religion in any way. Um, there is no concept of creation of how the world began which is kind of consistent with all other world traditions there is no god figure you know someone um who created it all and when it all started um any reference in buddhism to a higher power refers to nothing outside your own body and it implies that it's within you but that means also it's within everyone you look and see and in everything um I think there's a direct correlation between that and even some of Jesus's teachings, you know, when he said mm -hmm. the kingdom of God is inside you and all around you. And, you know, um, God, you know, if I, I'm God, I'm the son of God, and we are all brothers and sisters, then we are all children of God, you know, so this yeah. whole, so it's a lot of it is left for interpretation. But as it may, Buddhism is not a religion, which is why you will find people who are Christian and practicing Buddhist mm -hmm. or Jewish and Buddhist, because it it actually strengthens your existing your existing faith, whatever it is. And that's what I like about the Dalai Lama instruction: is go ahead and study Buddhism, mm -hmm. but don't study it in order to be a Buddhist. Yeah. Study Buddhism to be a better whatever you already are. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so do you think, uh, say, with Jesus, when when Christianity started. Do you think some of those his teachings maybe got a little bit misguided by the church o over history, whereas he might have had a different idea at the time of of where that is now? Or... 
Who knows? You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's been translated, transliterated, and these are stories told about someone a hundred years after it occurred. You know, yeah. so a lot of stuff is lost in the. And I don't think it. You know, my practice has been after studying religion and psychology simultaneously to understand not just what people believe, but why we believe what we do. I realized that it's it's kind of detrimental to study religion or Buddhism in a scholarly sense, you know, to try and memorize sutras or Mm -hmm. what did Jesus actually say and just loosen the grip a little bit and realize we no one knows what he or even the Buddha ever actually said but what is the intention and i think Mm -hmm. the intention behind a lot of these teachings and philosophies and um is all very much to unite us and to to make us realize just what how important we are and what an impact we can have a positive impact we can have on ourselves and the world around us so um i i can't answer that i don't know (laughs) what jesus what was jesus's intention (laughs) difficult question but i trust that they're um, yeah. Then after, so you, you said you had that little bit of glimpse into Buddhism, uh, and then you went you went full on. Is that right? You went overseas. Uh, yeah, I, it was it was an interesting. I it's kind of how I operate. I don't I don't slowly go into the pool. I just jump yeah. into the deep end. <laughs> nice. And I think you know the full immersion, just kind of like when I moved to the states and I didn't speak a word of English. You know, and I had the option to go through the very slow process and even go to school with my cousins who also spoke Hebrew and all, to have them help me. And I said, no, I just the only mm. way I'm going to learn is full immersion. Yeah. Um, and the pendulum was kind of swinging. I think in generally it wasn't I wasn't searching for religion. I wasn't searching for an, an answers. I, much like many people at that point where you're fed up with the corporate world. And you're just looking for a way out. I was escaping and um, I chose something that made logical sense. It was a simple and uncomplicated life. Um, It was a great opportunity. Um, The Buddhist teachings definitely resonated with me. But then that's when, of course, I realized how complicated that world can be. You know, there's so much dogma even within that world. Mm. And I said, no, that's what I was running away from. Mm. You know, this is complicated. So as the pendulum swung, I thought, you know, there's really a middle path, which is to honor the ancient teachings, but find a way to implement them into our daily lives. And that's what I hope to offer others is to say, you know, this wasn't only applicable back 2000 years ago, or if you're a monk living in a monastery, but if you can find inner peace in downtown Los Angeles, (laughs) you can find it anywhere. And that's the key. And that's why I'm doing this the way I do it, because... It's the only way is to lead yeah. by example. So how would... Because <clears throat> they seem like two opposite ends of the spectrum, say some of the Buddhist teachings and say the corporate world where everyone's... There's power games and, you know, there's a, mm-hmm. bit, of a bit of a whole show. So how do you implement some of the, the Buddhism, the Buddhist principles into, say, if you're fully entrenched in the, in the corporate world? Well, it's interesting you say that because even within the, the Buddhist monastery, you will see that there's a power trip that there is a hierarchy that someone's like, well, I'm a better Buddhist than you, you know, like it's really funny. Um, and, and, but that was a really good glimpse that the problem isn't the corporate world. The problem isn't Buddhism. The problem isn't Los Angeles or Sydney or, you know, London or any big cities that people tend to blame the problem on things outside themselves. But the problem is the ego within. 
And the ego is going to come out whether you're trying to be a, a Zen priest or yeah. if you're trying to be a CEO. So um, I think the applicability of the teachings um, is really imperative in, in, in whatever you do. And so to keep the ego in check, and, and by that I mean if, if there is a, a quote-unquote God within, if there is um, someone really kind and compassionate and patient and giving and forgiving within you, and then there's also a very greedy, power-hungry, um, shallow, angry, hateful person within you, um, and, and even as kids when we grew up, we saw that in cartoons, an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. The, the idea that there are two voices within us competing for our attention is, is known to everyone. What the Buddhist tradition does is it says, okay, we honor both of those voices. We acknowledge there's an ego within, but there's also a God within. And we invite you to make a commitment to follow the God within. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you see the ego and you say, I see you, <laughs> but I'm going to listen to God instead. And it's, it's just a, it's a path of finding. And whether, again, you're in the corporate world or at a monastery or in a relationship or not, um, you find a way to acknowledge where is this directive coming from? Is it my ego or is it the, the compassionate, kind, and patient part of me? And, and you can personify them. Like, there's a Gandhi within and there's a Hitler within. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I love those because they were just men. And mm -hmm. they presented a perfect example of what happens when you follow forgiveness and kindness and what happens when you follow greed and hatred. Yeah. I, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, definitely. So is it being, like, with the ego, you're best off... Um, for taking the Eastern principles in, you're best off being conscious of the ego first. Is that just being aware that of the, the two different parts of you first? or At least two. Um, <laughs> some of us have a whole lot more voices than that in our heads. And yeah. in fact, a friend of mine has a practice um, she calls naming her demons in the sense that if you're prone to anger, for example, you give your anger a name. Yeah. Because when you, you know, when you get angry, you literally do things that you normally wouldn't do. Or you get jealous, or you get so give those um, f emotions, feelings a name, and don't identify with them, and say that's yeah, not cool. who I want to be. That's someone else. Um, and the ego, it's like that's not me. That's this. I'm, it's like when your thoughts are being hijacked by the ego, um, and to really acknowledge it, but identify with your intentions and go from there. And that's why it's called a practice, because the more years in your life you practice listening to the ego the harder it is going to be to let it go and i don't think the point is to destroy the ego because then you're focusing all your attention on the ego which the mm -hmm. ego loves mm -hmm. and then it just keeps getting bigger it's just to acknowledge it to say i see you yeah. but i'm going to listen to this other guy instead yeah, does nice. that make sense yeah definitely definitely okay I think that was good. We we uh we did a, a good twenty twenty five minute episode on some of our favorite bits of uh, of Buddhist boot camp, but oh. we wanted to get a bit more insight from yourself uh, about some of our favorite bits. Uh, one of the parts I really liked, I guess, something along the lines of pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yes, that's if you were to encapsulate all of the Buddhist teachings into one sentence, that is it. That pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yeah, nice. Um. It's, uh, yeah, sorry, go, go can ahead. you, tell, can you no, tell us a little bit more? So yeah. How do you choose um, not to suffer? <laughs> well, you realize that the suffering is a choice. So that's the first thing. Like if you're um, stuck in traffic, for example, or if you're going through 
a hard time. Um, I think a really good example of this is um, when a man said, I was sad because I didn't have shoes, but then I met a man who didn't have feet. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that stuff that you realize that we create so much of our own suffering in our mind because we create a story and we label our situation and we say this is bad this is horrible this is wrong i'm stuck in traffic and it's like you're not stuck in traffic you are traffic you're part <laughs> yeah. of the problem yeah, 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 <laughs> you know yeah. saying that you're stuck in traffic it implies that everybody else is in your way and you're creating your own suffering by thinking that you are somehow superior to others and that this shouldn't happen yeah. But when you step outside of that, then yeah, the discomfort of going two miles an hour is unfortunate. But you're, you'd be like, you know, I'm just going to pop in an audio book and I'm going to enjoy this mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Or I'm going to sit here and get angry and yell and honk my horn and give the finger to everyone who drives <laughs> by. It's like, yeah. so it's about perspective. So I think pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. It makes you realize the pain is there. Yeah. But whether we identify with it and create a story around it and that's totally optional. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, this is, a, of course, a very simplified explanation of that um, sentence, but because um, we could talk for hours yeah. just about <laughs> yeah, that. Absolutely. People always go, well, no, well, my, my, my knee really hurts. I'm not imagining it. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not about telling someone or minimizing their pain at all. It's acknowledging the pain, but you know, you're focusing on what you can't do, mm-hmm. whereas you can Back, take a step back and go well what can i do and yeah, then you nice. realize that the list of blessings in your life is significantly longer than the hardships and then you live in gratitude and you can be happy even if your knee hurts and you're stuck in traffic yeah quote unquote yeah, yeah. amazing and i think that that also leads you said you said that building a story around it leads into also the the feelings versus emotions can emotion, you tell us the, yeah. uh, the the difference between feelings and emotions